Hey, church. Good morning. Everybody good today? We want to welcome everybody that's on campus and to everybody that's online. Um, if you're outside of the state of Florida, let me just tell you, we are in the middle of the dog days of summer, are we not? All right. It's hot outside. It's humid. It's raining about every day. Um, we have thunderstorms that I call frog stranglers is what I call them. And uh, if you live in Florida, you know what that's like. But if you're watching online today, please tell us where you're watching from. Uh, we'd love to engage with you online. I know we got some folks watching from Ashland, Ohio today. I know we got some folks from the greater Washington, D.C. Uh, that have been tuning in today. We got some folks from South Carolina today. So we got people tuning in all over the place. So we're super excited uh, that you guys have joined us on campus, that you joined us online. And uh, we're going to continue with a sermon series we started a couple of weeks ago called all about Jesus. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I had the privilege to kick off this series uh, two weeks ago, and today we're in part three uh, of our current series called All About Jesus. And like Jessica talked about uh, in that song and what Matt has mentioned in our worship service already is that uh, really it's all about Jesus, and what we're learning in this series is who he is and what he wants us to do. Uh, so if you missed any of the first two weeks of the series, let me encourage you to go to any of our social media media sites uh, and uh, our website where those things are archived and you can watch those messages to kind of get caught up uh, so that you understand kind of all that we have covered of the last uh, couple of weeks or so, okay? Uh, I'll do my best to give you a high-level update here as we begin part three. Uh, we learned in week one that the Apostle Paul, who is the person that wrote this letter that we're unpacking uh, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul had an encounter with Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus. He was on his way actually to the town of Damascus to persecute Christians or followers of Christianity in the first century. And then he had this encounter where Jesus revealed himself to the apostle Paul as he was traveling to persecute Christians. And in that moment, Paul came face to face with Jesus and it radically transformed and changed his life. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a personal encounter with Jesus, that's just what Jesus does. Uh, he radically transforms us and changes us, and the encounter that we have with him uh, produces results that are, are for our good, are for our best, so that we can experience the best life possible. And what we know about the Apostle Paul is that here we are over 2,000 years since he, since he lived, and we're still talking about him as probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Matter of fact, we have much of the New Testament part of our Bible because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the transformation that took place in his life because he had that encounter uh, with Jesus Christ. And our hope in this series is that as you learn about the nature and the character of Jesus, as you learn about the ministry of Jesus in your life, that you too, your life will be transformed and there'll be some changes that we make and some steps that we take toward him so that we can experience the best life possible. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Colossians chapter number three today. And on that road to Damascus, there were two questions that the Apostle Paul had for Jesus when he had that encounter. And these are the two questions that we're unpacking out of every single chapter in the little book of Colossians in our New Testament. He said, Lord, talking to Jesus, he said, who are you? And I believe there was this, this, this emptiness in the Apostle Paul that he was trying to fill with religious practice. 
And he came face to face with the person of Jesus, who was the Messiah, who was uh, crucified on a Roman cross, who was buried in a tomb and then was resurrected from the grave. And there's this stir going on in the known world in the first century around this idea or this guy named Jesus. So Paul asked him, Lord, who are you? Then the second question he asked them is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Obviously, you, you revealed yourself to me for a reason and for a purpose, and there's something that uh, you want me to accomplish. There's something that you want me to do. And he asked Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? In part number one, in chapter number one, here's what we learned about these two questions. We learned Jesus, first of all, is the Savior of the world. And because we're all sinners, we need a Savior, right? The Bible says, for all have sinned. That includes you, that includes me, and we need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Uh, we also learned in, in chapter one that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. We also learned that Jesus is the head of his church. And what we learned that we must do out of chapter number one is that we must learn to be advocates for Jesus. And uh, if you remember in week number one, we talked about how, for the most part, this series uh, is geared towards Christians, towards Christ followers. So if you're here today and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, much of what we're learning in this series is, is practical for our life. If you're here today or you're watching online and you don't have a relationship with Christ, here's what we hope you, you understand by the time we get through with this series. We hope you get a good biblical picture about this guy named Jesus who everybody's been talking about literally for thousands of years and the transformation and the change that he has made in literally hundreds of millions of people throughout all of human history. We hope you get a clear picture of who Jesus is, and at the end of the day, you get to make a choice. What do you believe about Jesus, and what difference does that make in the life that you live uh, today? So we learned in part one uh, those things about Jesus. Last week, Tim taught us uh, that, uh, that we overcome fear because of who we are in Christ. And we learned that, that Jesus is the answer uh, to, to the fear that we face sometimes in our life. And there are two little words that you're going to find in Colossians. As a matter of fact, they're in a lot of the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament. And they're the two words in Christ. It's the reason why I put them in quotes there is because uh, what we need to know and understand that in Christ, we have authority. In Christ, we have victory. In Christ, we have freedom. It is in Christ that we have all of the sufficiency and the sustenance that we lead to live a life that honors and glorifies God and, and helps us to be able to introduce other people uh, to, to him, okay? So what we're gonna do as we move into chapter number three is we're going to move into the practical part of what the Apostle Paul has taught in chapter one and chapter number two. If you remember in part one, we talked about this idea between belief and behavior. And it was necessary for Paul to write this letter to the church at Colossae because there were some fundamental beliefs about Jesus uh, that they were getting confused with. 
There were some other people that had kind of infiltrated the church and they had some other ideas about who Jesus was and uh, how we should worship, how they should worship and all this stuff. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter uh, to correct what was false in the church and to help them understand the true nature and character of Jesus and what difference that he makes um, in their lives. So what Paul's going to do in chapter three and chapter number four, and what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to unpack the practical application of what it is that, that he's already taught us about who Jesus um, is. Okay. So let's answer question number one from uh, Colossians chapter number three. The first question is, is who is Jesus? And listen to what Colossians chapter three and verse number one says. Paul says, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Now let's stop there for just a minute, okay? So he says there, because of your relationship with Christ, because you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you have believed that he is the Messiah, that he's the son of God, that he was uh, uh, crucified on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, he resurrected from the grave, he's paid your sin debt. Because of what you believe, he says there, you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. I want you to focus in on that phrase, is seated at the right hand of of God, And listen to how it comes up more and more as we unpack or answer the question, who is Jesus? Listen to how Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 12 says the same thing. It says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins, remember, he's our savior, okay? After offering one sacrifice for our sins forever, what did he do? Sat down at the right hand of God. Same phrase, two different places in the Bible. So the next question is, so what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? Okay, what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? So let's unpack that for just a second. Let's go to Romans chapter number eight and verse number 34. He asks a question, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and he also is at the right hand of God and what? And intercedes for us. So part of what Jesus is doing in his ministry today at the right hand of God the Father is he is interceding for you and I. For those of us who have a relationship with him, he is interceding for us. What is intercession? Intercession is me representing somebody else on their behalf. Uh, if you've ever prayed an intercessory prayer, if maybe you've had a coworker or a friend or a family member has said, hey, will you pray for me and pray for this? Maybe they're sick or there's been a diagnosis um, or, or they're just struggling with something in their life. They're just going through a hard time. They said, hey, will you pray for me? When you pray for them, you know what you're doing? You're interceding for them on their behalf. You're the go-between between them and God, and you're asking God on their behalf to show up and do something. So the Bible says that Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, is interceding for us. It goes on to say in Hebrews chapter number four, Verses 14 through 16, he says, Therefore, 
Since we have a great high priest, we're going to come back to this idea of a high priest in just a second, okay? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and he identifies him, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin." Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Let's stay right here for just a second because I want to point out two things. Jesus, as our high priest, sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and he helps us in our time of need. So another aspect of Jesus's ministry as he's seated at the right hand of the Father is that he sympathizes with us and he helps us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus gets me, okay? I'm glad that Jesus knows that I'm not perfect and never will be on this side of eternity. And I'm glad that he has adopted me into his family because of a decision that I made as a child to say yes to him and exercise a measure of faith and invite him into my life, ask him to forgive me of my sins, to help me as I live my life on this side of eternity and to take me to be with him in heaven one day. He gets the fact that I'm never gonna be everything that he created me to be on this side of eternity and he sympathizes with me, he helps me, he intercedes for me on a daily basis. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter number eight, verses one through six, that Jesus mediates for us. Listen to what he says. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest, okay? So let's talk about the high priest for just a second. This is a reference to that person in the Old Testament who was responsible for the sacrifice system. And if you remember in the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was the high priest's responsibility and duty to sacrifice the animal sacrifice, to shed the, the blood of an animal as a payment for the sins of the people within the nation of Israel, okay? Here's what we need to know and understand about the Old Testament high priest. The Old Testament high priest is a picture or a shadow, a foreshadow of the New Testament ministry of Jesus himself. Does that make sense? Okay, so when you read about the Old Testament high priest sacrificing animals, what you really need to get and understand is that that is a picture that one day there's going to come this perfect high priest who is all God and all man at the same time, and he's going to shed his perfect sinless blood, and he's going to pay for the sins of humanity once and for all. So when you see that Old Testament reference to the high priest, it's a picture of the ministry that Jesus has in our life today as our high priest. Does that make sense? If that makes sense, say uh-huh. uh-huh. If it doesn't, say uh-uh. Okay, so I think we're all tracking together today, okay? All right, so he says there, we have this kind of high priest who has sat down, here's the phrase again, at the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up and not man. For every high high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest, talking about Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. Let's go to the next verse. 
says these serve as a copy, here it is, the Old Testament, and a shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. So this passage in Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our mediator. What is a mediator? I like to think of a mediator as kind of like a lawyer, okay? If you need legal representation, uh, you're, you're gonna hire a lawyer and that lawyer is gonna go into the courtroom or is gonna go into the legal system and he or she is gonna represent you to the judge, the one who's gonna make a decision about whatever it is that you need, uh, you need a, a, a decision made on, that lawyer is gonna mediate for you. He's gonna represent you before the judge. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our high priest and his ministry today is to intercede for us, is to sympathize with us, is to help us and to mediate with us. So bottom line, here's how I wanna answer the question, who is Jesus? Jesus, very simply, is our advocate. He's on our side. He's got our back. He's the one that knows everything about us, and that doesn't faze him at all because he's done everything necessary for us to be in a relationship with him, and he is the one that, that intercedes for us, that helps us, that sympathizes with us, that mediates for us so that we can live the kind of life that honors and glorifies him so that he can use us to make a difference in the world that we lived. Uh, this is found in 1 John chapter um, number two, verses one through six. Listen to what it says. This is my little children. Uh, another version of the Bible says brethren. So he's talking about Christ followers, he's talking to Christ followers. He said, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation. That's a big Bible word, all right? Let me tell you what the word propitiation means. Propitiation means payment. So let's use that word. He, Jesus, is the payment for our sins. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he paid our sin debt. So he is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also those of the whole world. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. You need to, you need to remember that phrase, because that's what we're going to unpack here in just a minute. Let's go to the next verse if we can. It says, the one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know that we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now that word walk there means should behave just as Christ behaved. Remember, Jesus is our model. Jesus is, is the one that we're to follow. 
Jesus is the one who has blazed the trail, so to speak, so that we can live victorious over every circumstance or situation that we face. It does not mean that our life is gonna be perfect and we're, we're, we're exempt from everything difficult that this world throws at us because we know that we live in a fallen and a broken world. But what it means is as we go through the struggles and difficulties of life, we have somebody that's not only leading us, we have somebody that's walking through it with us, we have somebody that's cheering us on, we have somebody that's picking us up and brushing us off and help us get back on our feet. We have an advocate in that That's who Jesus is. So let's get to the practical part of Paul's letter and let's answer question number two. Uh, What do you want me to do? Now, the first thing we need to know and understand is that in Paul's day, and the reason he had to write this letter, the way that he wrote it is because in the the first century, in the pagan practices of religion, uh, there was virtually very little or even nothing that was said about personal responsibility or personal morality. In other words, it was very easy in their pagan culture for somebody to walk into a place of worship and worship a, a, a God or an idol that, that they had established in their life as their go-to in their religious practices. It was nothing for them to, to enter into a place of worship, to offer an offering of some sort before that idol and lay it at that idol's feet and check a religious box and turn around and walk out and just continue to live any way that they wanted to live. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and saying, with Jesus, it's different. With Christianity, it's different. Because there's a, there's a behavior and a standard that comes by being in relationship with Christ. And Paul is, is going to unpack what that really really looks like. So, so Paul introduces this new truth. And here's the truth that he wants them to get. And it's the truth that we need to get today as well. Okay, What we believe about Jesus has a very definite connection with how we are like Jesus. So what we believe about Jesus has to translate into how we behave like him. If it doesn't translate into how we behave, we're no different from the pagan idol worshipers who just come to church, check a box, say we've done our religious duty, now I'm gonna go live my life any way that I wanna live my life. And Paul says it's, it, it doesn't work that way. So he's gonna, he's gonna connect the belief that we talked about in week one with the behavior. Um, if you want the biblical term, he's gonna connect the doctrine with the duty. And he's gonna say, here is the outcome. Uh, he, and let me just be really clear, okay? He's not gonna talk about uh, the importance of this out of, um, uh, of trying to, uh, to do something to earn favor from God. He's saying, because of what Jesus has done for us, because he paid our sin debt, because he resurrected from a grave and proved that he was God, and because he has the power over sin and death and hell and the grave and the enemy and every circumstance or situation that we will face in our life, because of who he is and what he has done for us, we should respond to him with a life of gratitude and grace and a a life of of good works to help people understand what he's done for them as well. That make sense? Uh Uh-huh, that's your your word, okay? All right, so so you're catching on, okay? So let's talk about the, 
Uh, let's answer the second question. Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul gives three instructions to the church in Colossae, and they're the same three instructions we need today as well. Okay? The first thing he says is you, we need to seek the heavenly. We need to seek the heavenly. Listen to what he says in verse 1. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What the Apostle Paul is saying, because you have died to your sin nature and placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you are made alive with Christ spiritually because of your relationship with him, he says, you need to seek what is above. Set your mind on what is above. It's the idea of creating habits or habitually setting your mind and your attention on things of above, not on things of the earth. And the emphasis is on our relationship with Christ, okay? Uh, in other words, our everyday affairs of our life that we engage in. Just think about your average day for just a moment, okay? Whatever it is that you're gonna do the rest of the day today, or whatever it is you're gonna do from the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed tomorrow night, your average everyday affair, Paul is saying you need to learn to set your heart and your mind on things that are above first. Because if you'll set your heart and your mind on things Things that are above first, then you'll have the wisdom and the guidance and the understanding that you need to navigate as you experience life on a day-to-day -day basis, okay? It goes back to what Tim talked about last week and how that we have to deepen our roots and our relationship with Christ. So he uses the phrases like live in Christ. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is our life. Uh, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is Life. So as we are alive in Christ, Jesus is our, our very life. He says we are raised with Christ. What does that mean? We are alive in Christ, okay? We are not spiritually dead. Uh, we are alive in Christ because Jesus is resurrected from the grave. He says we are hidden in Christ. What does that mean? That means that we are secure and satisfied and safe in Jesus, he is our, our sword. He is our shield. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is our security. We are hidden in Christ. And he uses the phrase glorified in Christ. What does that mean? That means that the moment we said yes to Jesus and invited him into our life to be our Lord and our Savior, eternity for us began in that moment. Eternity is not going to begin when we breathe our last breath on this side of eternity and we go to be in his presence. When we say yes to Jesus in this life, eternity begins because Jesus has already beat death and destroyed death and death has no hold on the Christ follower. It's just a doorway that is open into the eternal presence that God has for us with him forever and ever. So when he says we live in Christ, we're raised with Christ, we are hidden in Christ, we are glorified in Christ, it's all about... The emphasis of our relationship is our relationship in Christ. And let me just tell you, church, when you realize and understand who you are in Christ, it makes all the difference in the world when you face the difficulties and struggles of life. Because in Christ, he is victorious. In Christ, he is the overcomer. In Christ, he is sufficient. In Christ, he has the answers. 
And I don't know what this would look like for you, but I'll just tell you what it looks like for me. One of the things that I do every single day, uh, within about 30 minutes of when my feet hit the floor in the morning, when I get up out of bed, I take the time and I make this initial declaration every single day. God, before I even start this day, I surrender my emotions to you. I want you to be Lord of my feelings. I want you to control my mind and my emotions. I surrender my heart to you and ask you to fill me with your love. And no matter what I face today, I know that you are with me and ask you to give me wisdom, ask you to give me guidance, ask you to give me courage, ask you to give me understanding and process everything that I'm gonna face today through my relationship with you. And every day, that's what I do initially to set my heart and my mind on things above. For you, it might look like a, a, a verse of scripture that you can, you can make a declaration of. And you, you, requote, you quote that or memorize it or get your Bible out and you read it every single day. I don't know what it looks like for you, but what Paul is saying, because of who we are in Christ, we have to make up our mind that we are going to seek the heavenly in every aspect of our life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He said, but seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Know what the th these things are that Jesus is talking about in that passage? Just the daily sustenance of life that we need. So whatever it is that you need in life every day, Jesus says if you will seek the heavenly first, he puts himself on the line to provide and meet every single need that you'll ever have in your life. So what do we do? First of all, we gotta seek the heavenly. Second thing we gotta do is we gotta slay the worldly. We gotta slay the worldly. Look at what he says in verse number five. He says, therefore, put to death whatever in you is worldly. Now let's stop right there for just a minute, okay? Put to death, slay whatever in you is worldly. And what Paul's gonna do next is he is gonna turn his attention to a list of, of negative, sinful desires that humanity struggles with. And what's interesting to me is that the audience in Paul's first century day is not much different from the audience that you and I are in in 2022. People haven't changed much. We struggle with the same basic things in our flesh and that, that human nature and what Paul's going to do here is he's going to talk about some negative things. So I want to I illustrate this as best I can today as we walk through this. And here's what I need you to know and understand, okay? Uh, I'm just the messenger, okay? Uh, I drew the short straw for chapter three. But here's what I, what I, I, as a minister and as a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's my duty and my responsibility to teach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the Bible teach itself for just a little bit and try to help us understand what the Apostle Paul is saying about how we slay the worldly in our life, okay? And listen, please hear my heart. No condemnation from Pastor Brian, okay? Because there are things on this list that I struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to learn something together today. And here's what Paul says about the worldly in our life. He, he says, so set your minds on what is above, not on what is the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah. And he says, therefore put to death whatever in you is worldly. And he lists some things, sexual immorality. What is that? 
That's any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Everything outside of a covenant relationship which God established when he created man and woman. And God created, God created sex, so therefore it's, it's great, it's perfect, but it has some boundaries. And the boundaries that God has set in his word is the relationship between a man and a woman in a covenant holy relationship of matrimony between a husband and a wife. Anything and everything outside of that is what the Bible calls sin or sexual immorality. I didn't say that, God said that, okay? And, and all you gotta do is look around uh, wherever you do life every single day and you realize and understand that this is a problem in 2022 in the nation and the culture that we live in. And Paul says, you gotta slay what is earthly. And he begins, first of all, with, with what I call sensual sins. He says sexual immorality, impurity, anything that is not pure, anything that's shady, Anything that's going to lead you to do something impure. Lust. Jesus set the standard for lust when he said, if, if you look at somebody, it's as if you, with, with, with a sexual intent, he says, it's, it's as if you had a, a, a committed adultery with them. Jesus set the bar really high. Not so that he could rain on, on our happiness and our parade and we, could, we couldn't experience the pleasures that those things provide. It's because Jesus knows and understands that if we engage in these practices, they're harmful. They're damaging to us. And they will hurt our relationship not only with him, but also with others. So he says, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you, listen to how he frames it. He says, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You guys used to behave this way. Paul would say the same thing about himself, okay? Once he had that encounter with Jesus, he knew that there were some behaviors and some things in his life that, that needed to change. So he's saying to us as well, for those of us that know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, there was a time where we behaved like this, what, this, this too, did we not? And there are still times that we struggle to behave like this in our human flesh and in our human nature. That's why we need to understand who we are in Christ so that we can gain the victory to be overcomers and, 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 to, and to abstain and to slay the worldly things that we will face in our life. He goes on to say in verse eight, but you now must also, look here, put away all of the following. And then he turns to what I call some social sins. He says, anger. Wrath, malice. What is malice? Malice is ill will that we have towards somebody else. I, I've had ill will towards, I've had ill will toward my, toward my wife at times. Any other guys in the house like that? I've, I've, I've had ill will. I'll, I'll be transparent with you. You can ask her, she'll, she'll tell you. I've had ill will towards people who are very, very close to me because in my flesh, I wanna respond in a way that my flesh wants to respond. That person that cuts me off in traffic, I guarantee you I have ill will toward, toward them, okay? Does it make it right? No. So, God, so he says there, anger, wrath, malice, slander. 
That's just playing out, talking about somebody and saying something that's just not true. Slander. And look here, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its practices. So he lists these, these lists of, uh, of sins. And the reason he lists these sins is because I think Paul understood that what we desire usually determines what we do. What we desire determines what we do. And we don't like to talk about the negative things in Scripture. Uh, but how many of you know that in order to grow a garden, sometimes you've got to pull the weeds? To have a healthy garden, and I'm not a green thumb by any stretch of the imagination, but I've grown a few things in my day, okay? Uh, but every single time that I've tried to grow a garden, I've had to make sure that I pull the weeds. So what we need to do today is, is pull some weeds in our life. We've got to realize and understand there's some behaviors and some activities that God says are not best and that you can have victory of because of who Jesus is in your life. And God can use you to be a witness and an example to others who are engaged in these types of behaviors so that they too can know who Jesus is and gain victory and freedom so they don't have to deal with the consequences of their choice. And he uses this idea, he, the verbiage that he uses, you need to, to put off the old and put on the new. Uh, it literally is the idea of taking off the garment. Paul says, these are some things that you got to take off and they got to go because they're not for your best. They're not for your benefit. They're not the best that I have for you. I know you struggle with them, but this is not the best. I know this is the way you want to respond sometime, but this never, ever, ever leads to a healthy place. Matter of fact, these behaviors always lead you to a place that you never thought you would ever go. They always leave you there longer than you thought you would ever want to stay, and they'll cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. And Paul says you got to take them off. Uh, the, these things have to, have to go. And then he says there in verse number nine, don't, don't lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man. Let me make one other point about this. Listen to what Galatians chapter five and verse 24 says about this stuff, okay? Galatians chapter five, verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's those of us who are Christ followers, okay? Those of us who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. When Jesus Christ shed his perfect sinless blood on Calvary's cross, he made it possible for us to take off this old nature because all this stuff was nailed to his cross and we need to learn to leave it there because that's where we gain the victory. That's where the, 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 the battle has already been fought and won by Jesus. And we nail these things to the cross, not to revisit them, not to put them on any, anymore, because in Christ, he is our advocate, he's our helper, he's our intercessor, he's our mediator, he's our advocate, and he helps us to overcome these things in our life. So he talks about the idea of, of putting on. So what's the third thing we need to do? We need to strengthen the Christly. So we seek the heavenly, we slay the worldly, 
and we strengthen the Christly. Listen to the verbiage again that he uses in verse number 10. And you have put on the new man. And you have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He says, you have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge. It's the idea of a once and for all, taking off and putting on. Once and for all, taking off and putting on. And in just a minute, Paul's going to mention some new things that we need to, to put on. The once and for all action that he's talking about is, is our behaviors. Uh, those, those things that, that, that we desire. He says we got to put them off and we got to put on some new things because Jesus has nailed the old to the cross already. So we got to learn what the new is and we got to strengthen them because we are in Christ. We have died to our old nature. If you've experienced baptism, that's what you symbolize. When you went under the water, you symbolize that you identify with Jesus's death on the cross. You've invited him into your life to be your Lord and to be your savior. And, and you are raised to new life in Christ because your sin nature is dead. Now you have a new spiritual nature in Christ. You have been raised with him. So when you come up out of the grave, everything that we need in Christ or, or is made available to us to put on the new self. And it says we are being renewed in verse 10. That's a, that's a present participle. It means that I am constantly, daily in the renewal process in my life. Okay? I never get to the point on on this side of eternity where I don't struggle with this in my flesh. So that's why I gotta consistently and constantly be renewed in my mind, in my heart, in my actions, in my attitude so that I can gain the victory and put on the new man. How does this come about? He tells us in verse 10, he says it's through knowledge. There in uh, uh, chapter three and verse number 10. In other words, the better that we get to know Jesus, the more like Jesus we're going to become. Listen to how Romans 8 and verse 29 says this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the key, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Remember in 1 John chapter 2, what we read a few minutes ago, how he talked about if you're in Christ and you don't behave the way that you're supposed to behave as a Christ follower, then the truth is not in you and you are a liar. So, so, so the more we get to know Jesus, the more we can be conformed to the image of who he is, the more that we can live our life in a way that honors and glorifies him. And then he lists these things we need to put on in chapter three, verse 12. We're almost done, I promise. Therefore, he says, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. You think he wants us to get that forgiveness is a big deal? Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. 
And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, look here, control your hearts. Be thankful. Another thing that I love to do every single day is thank the Lord for his provision in my life. And I say, Lord, thank you for a good night's rest in a safe and comfortable home. Thank you for a car that I get in that's going to get me to work today. Thank you for clothes that I have to put on my back. Thank you for the food that I'm going to eat today that sustains me and gives me energy and strength. God, God just wants us to be thankful. You see how practical our relationship with Christ can be? He says, be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Matt mentioned this a while ago, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And he wraps it up this way in verse 17. And whatever you do, Whatever you do in your diet, in your life, every day, driving your car, eating dinner, having conversations, working at your job, whatever you do, he says, do it in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me ask you something. Take this. Or this, which is better. It's better, isn't it? It's way better. And it's a trade-off that we'll never, ever, ever, ever regret in our life. I put our bottom line thought for today in your spiritual growth challenge because it's a little long. And uh, you can pick one up as you leave today if you're on campus. If you're online watching, you can download it from our website or uh, there's probably a link in one of our social media platforms that you can download it. But I want to summarize everything that Paul has taught us today in this phrase right here. And I would encourage you to take it with you and meditate on it this week, okay? It says, we are alive in Christ, therefore we should seek the heavenly. We are dead in Christ, meaning we have died to our sin nature, Therefore, we should slay the worldly, and we can become like Christ. Therefore, we should strengthen the Christly. And in verse number 16, he talks about the idea of singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So we're going to practice first century worship today as we leave. And uh, if you remember the song that Matt introduced to us in week one, it's called God of the Ages. He did it acoustically. Uh, today, we're going to do it with a full band behind us. And I want to encourage you to engage in worship today. Um, and if God's put his finger on something in your life, leave it here today. Just leave it with Jesus right here today. When you leave here, know that in Christ, everything that you need to be healthy, whole, victorious, an overcomer, when it comes to your spiritual vitality, you have everything that you need in Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the greatest decision you can make today is to say yes to him. I can't change your life, but I can point you to the one who can. His name is Jesus. He's the God of the Bible that we've been talking about today. He's done everything necessary for you to be forgiven of your sins, for you to have an advocate to walk through life with you and and to be able to spend eternity in a perfect place called heaven. And if you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus in the quietness of this last song, or if you're watching online, wherever you're at, just bow your heads and close your eyes and talk to God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. 
as best I know how, I believe Jesus is your son. And I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me live my life in a way that would honor and please you and take me to be with you in heaven. If that's the attitude of your heart, the Bible says you can be adopted into God's family today. And does that have anything to do with your performance? It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done for you. So let's pray, and we're going to sing, and we'll be dismissed. So Lord, thank you for today and uh, the truth of your word. And God, I don't know who it is that you're speaking to or what it is that you want to accomplish in our lives today. But God, I'm grateful that, um, God, you've already dealt with me and leading up to this point to where there's some things in my life that I've, I've had to make right before I could stand and share what you want me to share today. And Lord, uh, I just pray you take your word and you would plant it in good soil hearts today. And it would grow and give fruit and you would accomplish Lord, all that you want to accomplish. God, maybe there's a behavior, an attitude, or something on that list of, of sin that we talked about today that somebody needs to leave with you and just agree with you about the, the, um, the vice that it has in their life and know that in Christ, in you, they have everything they need to be victorious. So God, set people free today. Give us victory and freedom and uh, use us this week um, to exhibit Uh, these attitudes of love and kindness and grace and mercy and um, Lord just help us to make a difference in our world for you because there are so many people who desperately need you today. First in these things we pray and ask in your name. Amen.